During Robert Brogdon's Olathe Buick GMC clearance event, save up to 20% on new models like the 2023 Buick Encore GX or GMC Sierra 1500. View their huge inventory at robertbrogdon.com and find your perfect match. Garrettson and Toth presents The Shift with Jack Johnson on ESPN Kansas City, 1510 AM and 94.5 FM. We are back with another edition of The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN Kansas City. I am your host, Jack Johnson, alongside Marco Marquez. Shout out to our presenting sponsors, starting with Garrettson and Toth. They handle the most complex felony, federal or state criminal defense cases. You'll find them in doing that successfully, helping criminal defendants all over the Kansas City area and Northeast Kansas for years. Also, be sure to visit Kim Hauer and Associates Agency at 150 Metcalf in Overland Park or give Kim and her team a call at 913-649-2002. That's 913-649-2002 for a quote on your home and auto insurance today. Before we dive into some Super Bowl talk, talking Chiefs, talking Eagles, maybe talking a little bit about the Pro Bowl, which was kind of a joke yesterday, let's get our college basketball segment out of the way and early on. And also a quick preview into tonight, a big Monday showdown between Kansas and Texas. But over the weekend, an ugly weekend for Kansas and Kansas State. We'll start it off with the Jayhawks, who tipped off early in Ames on Saturday. Now, I think going into that game, nobody would have been shocked if somebody were to say it was going to be a loss for Kansas. A blowout loss? Well, that's another thing. Kansas fell to the Cyclones 68-53. The Clones were coming off back-to-back losses to teams they were much, much better than. Kansas was on a two-game winning streak after being Kentucky and Kansas State at home. But Kansas only put up 53 points on that Iowa State defense. And once again, it was the Jalen Wilson show offensively. Nobody else else was giving much offensive production for Kansas in the starting five or off the bench. The second leading score for Kansas was Joseph Yesifu with eight. So Jalen Wilson gives you 26 on 16 shots, also had nine boards and two assists. K.J. Adams gives you seven. Grady Dick gives you seven. Kevin McCullough gives you two. And Dewan Harris gives you two. After the game, I thought it was very telling that Bill Self walks into the press conference and says, well, it sounds like a Morgan here. It's going to be okay. So he's clearly taking this recent skid for Kansas. I mean, I wouldn't really call it a skid because they already had their three-game losing streak, but bad stretch of play. You did beat Kentucky, but Kentucky's underachieved this year, and you beat Kansas State at home, and you've done that every single year since 2007. But on the road of late in the Big 12, it's been a mighty struggle for the Jayhawks. Losing to Iowa State, losing to Baylor, losing to Kansas State. Three consecutive Big 12 losses on the road. I understand that of the five losses Kansas has this year, they're all against very good teams. Tennessee is ranked. Kansas State is ranked. TCU is ranked. Baylor is ranked. Iowa State is ranked. None of those losses are bad. But maybe it's the way that Kansas is starting to lose now. Going back to that game against TCU. You lose at home by 23. You only put up 60 points. Against Baylor... 
that game wasn't really that close, and the final score doesn't depict that. You lost by six, but you were chasing them the entire game. And Iowa State, it was never close. It got within five points in the second half, but it quickly ballooned to double digits. And I think there is some serious cause for concern for this team. Now, you won your national championship last year, so that does take some pressure off you. And Kansas is still a good 18-5 and team. But if you were somebody that had the impression or somebody that had the hope that they truly could run it back, a lot of things are going to need to change. They get nothing, and I mean nothing offensively from their front court. I mean, the bare minimum isn't even met. Dewan Harris doesn't score enough. I know he gave you 18 against K-State on Tuesday, but in these tough road battles, he's got to shoot more. He's got to take his shots. Joseph Yetzfu off the bench. We heard Bill Self say that he was one of the guys that was thriving in practice. Well, eight points isn't going to cut it. Now, with your big men. K.J. Adams has been very good this year. He has taken a massive step forward, but off the bench, you just can't survive with two of your big men hurt and Zach Clements and Zuby Ejiofor and Ernest Uday only being able to give you less than five points a game. I mean, so much has to change with this team for it to become a legitimate title contender. you got to have a little bit of luck involved in I think it's also very telling that when Grady Dick is not scoring the ball in the way that he was earlier in the year, you're going to suffer. You are really going to struggle. They're not going to win many games when Grady Dick gives you five or seven points. And in back-to-back games, he's given you less than 10. So you have concern of, man, when this team is struggling, how are they going to get out of it? Because they can't rely on Jalen Wilson to score all the points. And that's basically what happened again. On Saturday, and don't fault Jalen Wilson. He's trying to will his team to victory. It's up to the other guys around him to step up a little bit. Kevin McCuller has not been great offensively this year. He's been great on the defensive end, but in terms of just putting the ball into the hoop, he's not been very good. Dewan Harris has had his spurts. He is a facilitator, and I think last year he really shined late because the guys around him we're starting to hit their groove, find their rhythm. And Ochai Abaji, Christian Brown, Jalen Wilson, David McCormick. This year, Dewan Harris can't be the best version of himself if the only guy that's scoring is Jalen Wilson. And Jalen Wilson's not a guy that's scoring off of your assists. He's creating his own shot. He is the one that is taking the ball, driving, shooting from deep. It's a 1v5 type of deal right now for Kansas. Now, you had a good win against Kansas State, a good win against Kentucky. You can really bounce back tonight with a, with a win at home against Texas. But the risk now, in terms of the conference race, is all on the line tonight. If you lose tonight to Texas, you will not win the conference. You have to win tonight to stay alive. You're likely not winning in Austin. You will need Texas to slip up somewhere else, and they almost did against Kansas State over the weekend. This is a big one tonight for Kansas. And maybe the home crowd, the bad play on Saturday can fuel you to play at another level on Big Monday. I think it's just causing some concern now, at least for me. I think you can totally appreciate that a team that's 18-5 and five can still make a run to the Final Four. 
but they're not going to make a run to the Final Four with the current play they have right now. 1v5. You got to have more from Grady Dick. You got to have more from Dewan Harris, Kevin McCuller. I can live with six or eight points from KJ Adams. I really can. But for the other guys, they can't be scoring less than five points a game. Grady Dick can't be taking six shots on the road and expecting to win. He has to be the second leading scorer on this team. He's got to be hitting shots from beyond the arc. They're not falling right now for Kansas. And they are the best three-point shooting team in the Big 12. But when those shots aren't falling, it cripples them. It really does because they start to force more and more shots, whether they're open or not, because they're not going to play through the post. So Kansas falls by 15 to Iowa State on Saturday. Never really felt like they were in it. They were sleepwalking the majority of that game. They've lost three consecutive Big 12 road games, but they can bounce back tonight with a massive showdown against the 10th-ranked Longhorns. That is sure to be a top-10 Texas team when the AP Top 25 comes out here in about the next hour or two. I expect Texas to jump around the 6 or 7 range. That game will be at 8 p.m. We know Texas has the size. Christian Bishop was phenomenal on Saturday against Kansas State. You have to worry about their backcourt and Tyrese Hunter and Marcus Carr. Timmy Allen is also another really tough stretch for to handle. It's put up or shut up time now. If Kansas has the expectation to still come back and win this conference, you cannot lose at home to Texas because you're going to lose to them at the Moody Center at the end of the year. At least it feels that way right now. You trail by two games. You were tied with Kansas State, Baylor, and TCU for third place in the Big 12. Iowa State at 7-3, Texas at 8-2. You get away with a win tonight. Then your schedule softens a little bit. And I put softens in air quotes, or I have air quotes around it, because the Big 12 is not soft at any point. But I would say softer than that brutal stretch they've gone through. That started all the way back with that game against Iowa State on Saturday, January 14th. They are 2-3 over their last five. And one of those wins wasn't even against a Big 12 team. But after Texas, you get Oklahoma and Oklahoma State back-to-back two of the bottom teams in the conference. Then you get Baylor and TCU sandwiched in between West Virginia and Texas Tech at home. You win tonight, you can go on a little bit of a run. Go on a little bit of a spurt. But after the performance on Saturday, I'm starting to doubt that this team can find that true consistency that last year's team had around this same point. Early to mid-February is when they took off, and they never lost again. After they lost to TCU in Fort Worth in February, I believe it was, never lost. They were sparked. Maybe that loss on Saturday was the spark, but this team isn't going anywhere if it's Jalen Wilson doing all the scoring. You can't beat anybody in this conference if it's a one-man show. you got to get more from the other four in that starting five. So Kansas and Texas tonight at 8 p.m. at Allen Fieldhouse. As for the Kansas State Wildcats, they played these Texas Longhorns on Saturday and built up a big-time lead in the first half and early on in the second half. But when it was all said and done, Kansas State might have had their worst second half of the season. Texas outscores them by 14 and go on to win 69-66 to over the Cats, handing Kansas State its second straight loss and two losses actually last week in total. Losing on Tuesday to Kansas and then, of course, to Texas. And 
Kansas State has not had a bad loss, it feels like, in their last three or four. You lost to Iowa State and Ames. You lost to TCU. You lost to Kansas. You lost to Texas. All those teams, top half of the Big 12. But when you have chances like this to knock off a team like Texas, top of the conference, you can't blow double-digit leads at home. It doesn't matter who you're playing. If you were playing Purdue, who also lost this last weekend to Indiana, if you were playing the number one team in the country, number two, number three, doesn't matter. You have a double-digit lead at any point in that game. You're expected to win it. You're expected to hang on and win it. And credit to Texas and what they were able to do, how they were able to grind back. Uh, the most impressive thing to me is they trailed by 11 and a half before the 16-minute, the under-16 timeout. It was cut to five. And that put Kansas State on their heels a little bit. Now, Kansas State, I thought, had a very good offensive game plan and how they were going to attack the size of Texas. But it was a little bit unorthodox to me. Keontae Johnson has been that guy that puts up about 15, 16, 17 shots a game. He only had 10. Now, he did have foul trouble. He got in foul trouble early on in the way that he did against Kansas, and Jerome Tang made a very bad decision and putting him back out there in the first half with two fouls, and he picked up his third. It just hurts you a little bit. Also, Marquise Noel was terrible at controlling the ball. Six turnovers in the game from your true point guard. That can't happen. Now, he is a very aggressive point guard. He likes to take a lot of shots. He took more shots than anybody else on K-State on Saturday. He was 4 of 11 with 10 points. Didn't have as many assists as he usually does, only three on the game. Didn't have a shot fall from beyond the arc. He was 0 of 5. Didn't really get to the free throw line. Was just 2 of 2 there. But the six turnovers stands out to me. He also dealt with some foul troubles. He had four fouls on the game as well. But this is what we talk about with this Kansas State team is that when a Keontae Johnson or Marquise Noel don't have the type of performance that we've seen this year from them, the 30-point game, the 20-plus point game, you know, the near triple-double that Marquise Noel have, it's, it's an extraordinary stat line, but it's also what Kansas State always needs to beat a top-10 team. You need a different type of performance from those guys, and they were average on Saturday. And you can't be average and beat the University of Texas. Desi Sills off the bench had 11. Bebe Igiola had six. But the rest of the starting five, not very good. Naquan Tomlin gave you eight on six shots. Only five rebounds. David Gasson only gave you two boards as well. Five points to go with that. Cam Carter only took three shots, had five points, but four turnovers. They were sloppy with the ball. 18 turnovers, shot 31% from deep. That's not going to cut it. And that's not going to cut it in beating a top 10 team like Texas. Now, I thought they held the star players for Texas in check. Tyrese Hunter, 10 points. Marcus Hunter, or Marcus Carr, excuse me, 10 points. They were combined one of nine from deep. But guys they couldn't slow down were Christian Bishop, Sir Jabari Rice. Both of them combined for 28 points off the bench. 33 bench points for Texas on this game. And that's why they were able to overcome such a big deficit in the first half. I mean, you're playing in Bramage Coliseum, which can get rocking. It was rocking on Saturday. But, man, you could tell Jerome Tang was pissed off. He was furious in his postgame press conference because he knew he let one slip away. He knew this team let one slip away. And their schedule does not get any easier over the next couple weeks. 
Now, you did get rid of Kansas and Texas, and that was last week. You got those games out of the way. But now you get TCU at home tomorrow. And then two semi-tough road games. Oklahoma, who has been bad over the last two games after thumping Alabama. But you never know what you're going to get from Oklahoma. And you get Texas Tech and Lubbock, who now has sort of shown that they can be a team at home. It'd be a little bit tough to beat. You know, against Iowa State, they overcame a 23-point deficit. Now, they responded by losing by 27 to Baylor on the road. But still, I think an Oklahoma and Texas Tech team, to go the same thing for Kansas with play, playing Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, the inconsistency, inconsistency the, the lack of knowing what you're going to get from that team, it can scare you a little bit. Those are not gimme games. And if you lose the TCU tomorrow, you're in a three-game slump and you're trying to right the ship in Lubbock which is always a tough place to play and go out there and win. And then after that, you get Oklahoma and Norman, and then back-to-back home games against Iowa State and Baylor. It is a little bit of a gut-check time now for Kansas State, and we said this on the show that every team in the Big 12 is going to go through a, a rut. They're going to go through a losing streak. They're going to have a bad stretch of play. Kansas State's in the middle of that right now. They are 1-3 and three over the last four games. Their one win came against Florida at home. Now, a Florida team that recently beat Tennessee, but Florida scored 50 points on the game. They were not very good at all. So 1-3 over the last four, and you have to bounce back now against a very good TCU team. So not a bad overall performance, only losing to Texas by three at home, but when you lead by double digits in your own house, you can't blow those games and expect to win this conference. So Texas right now with a comfy one-game lead over Iowa State. I wouldn't really say comfy, but a comfy two-game lead over everybody else in third place being Kansas, Kansas State, Baylor, and TCU. So Kansas State will be back in action on Tuesday against TCU at home. We'll see if the Cats can avoid their first three-game losing streak of this season. We'll take our first break of the show. When we come back, let's take a quick dive into the big game on Sunday, the Chiefs and the Eagles. What can we expect so early on this week? What do we expect to see injury report-wise? Just diving a little bit of the headlines ahead of this big matchup between the Chiefs and the Eagles, the, K- the Kansas City Chiefs' third Super Bowl appearance in the last four years. How do we see it shaking down? We'll tell you next on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN, Kansas City. Back here on the shift, and it's finally Super Bowl week. A full slate of interviews lined up. We'll be going to the podium time and time and again this week, hearing from Chiefs players, hearing from Eagles players. Just can't get enough of all the content we'll be getting from the Super Bowl radio row this week. Uh, Just what a colossal showdown, and actually a perfect showdown for a Super Bowl. I think you can always hope for the storylines to write themselves Maybe during Radio Row, somebody talks smack. You can use that. There is so many storylines already going into this game that you don't even need any trash talk. There's probably going to be some trash talk. But you have the Kelsey brothers as a storyline. You have Andy Reid in Philadelphia as a storyline. You have the first two black quarterbacks to play each other in the Super Bowl. That's another storyline. 
I mean, across the board, it's it's such an intriguing matchup, and it makes you satisfied. Even before the game, it, it should satisfy you that it's the two best teams, AFC and NFC-wise. Both teams 16-3. and three, They've scored the same amount of points. They have the same amount of pro bowlers. Their quarterbacks are pro bowlers. And it's almost freaky how similar these teams really are. And we're going to have a lot of deep dives into this game all week long. We'll still have our three keys to the game on Wednesday. We'll have our three heroes on Friday. We'll go prediction by prediction almost every single day because there's going to be more news that pops up, especially with this injury report. Will Kadarius Toney play? Will Willie Gay play? And will LeJarrius Sneed play? We likely know at this point McCole Hardman's not going to be playing. But once the injury report comes out, will Juju Smith-Schuster be doubtful? Will he be questionable? Will he be a full participant? That's something you're going to have to watch all week long. And that will factor in, I think, the Vegas spread right now. It's one and a half in favor of Philadelphia. But at the end of the day, maybe it does come down to injuries, maybe not. Maybe if the Chiefs don't have Juju or don't have Kadarius Toney, they still can win because they have number 15 at quarterback. But right now, it's so early to tell and get a good pulse on this game because the injury report is up in the air a little bit. And when the injury report is that up in the air, you can question you know, what the Chiefs' game plan would be like. If you don't have your number one and number three and number four receivers, you're going to have to alter that game plan a little bit because the Eagles are going to try everything in their power to take Travis Kelsey away. Whether they can be successful or not, they can afford that if you have Juju Smith-Schuster out if you have Kadarius Tony and McCole Hardman out. So that is absolutely something to gauge all week long. I'm sure we'll get a better depiction. We'll get a better rundown from Andy Reid Andy as the week progresses. But right now what I wanted to do in looking at these two teams is basically give one strong opinion as to what this game could mean for both sides. And I think the Chiefs have much more to gain in this game, surprisingly, much more to gain from a win than the Eagles do. Because the Eagles, I know we've said house money a lot. We've said house money with the Giants, playing with house money. We've said playing with house money for the Jacksonville Jaguars, playing with house money for the 49ers, because they didn't have their starting quarterback. I don't want to say the Eagles are playing with house money, but if they were to lose... On Sunday, I don't think anybody's really batting an eye. So my, my opinion is that the Chiefs have more to gain, but also more to lose on Sunday. They lose this game. They're 1-2 and two in their three Super Bowl appearances. It's not a great look. You're happy they got to that point, but it doesn't feel good walking away with only one Super Bowl win in your three appearances, and your one Super Bowl win came against Jimmy Garoppolo. But for the Eagles, if they lose, you lost to Patrick Mahomes, you lost to the Chiefs. You're not losing any sleep over it. It sucks. It stings. But this Philly team, I think, surprised everybody and going on to win 16 games. And Jalen Hurts wasn't healthy for all 17 games in the regular season. Hell, he's probably not 100% to this day. He's probably still battling that shoulder injury because that affects throwing the football, believe it or not, or lowering lowering your shoulder into contact. So you might not be getting a 100% version of Jalen Hurts. Now, your defense is phenomenal. Your offensive line has a ton of pro bowlers on it. Nick Sirianni should be in consideration, I think more in consideration, for coach of the year. A.J. Brown has turned out to be one of the best trade acquisitions all season long. 
Devontae Smith is taking a step forward. Across the board, the Eagles have really cashed in on a phenomenal season. But they don't have a ton to lose in this game. Now, you may say, well, they don't have a ton to lose. They also could gain a lot by beating the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. I get it. It totally would make sense for that to be a monumental type win, even bigger than beating Tom Brady in the, in the Super Bowl with Nick Foles a couple years back. So, yes, beating Patrick Mahomes would be more impressive, maybe, maybe to Kansas City people, maybe not, than beating Tom Brady at that point in his career in New England. But the reason I think it means so much more to Kansas City is I think it would prove everybody wrong in what was said about them for the entire calendar year of 2022. You traded away Tyreek Hill. You didn't go out and get a number one wide receiver. You didn't really improve your defense. The AFC West drastically improved, at least on paper. Cincinnati got better. They overhauled their offensive line. Buffalo got a lot better. But if you finish your season with a Super Bowl win over the number one team in the NFC, you have 17 wins. You go 17-3 and over the entire 20-game schedule. Patrick Mahomes wins MVP. I think you change the course of the NFL. I think you change the structure of the NFL. That can never really be toyed or touched with. I mean, that's what's at stake for Kansas City. You lose the game, people will criticize you for not coming through in the, in the big-time games. You can have all your postseason wins prior to the Super Bowl, but if you have a sub-500 record in the Super Bowl, it stings bad. Because you always want to maximize, capitalize on winning Super Bowls when you get there. Tom Brady was the best ever to do it. Patrick Mahomes can get into that consideration, but you got to win number two. You got to get ring number two. And if you win that, you're talking about having one of the most impressive seasons of all time in the NFL. I mean, you go over every single team in the NFL right now and you strip their number one receiver from them and they don't really replace them with a number, num- another number one, what do those teams look like? In all honesty, what do those teams look like? You take Stephon Diggs away from Josh Allen and replace him with Michael Gallup. Or hell, just throw Juju on the team. Let's say Juju went to Buffalo, and Buffalo traded away Stephon Diggs. What do the Bills look like? What does Josh Allen look like? Is that a team that wins their division? Is that a team that gets the number two seed in the AFC? A team that wins 13, 14, 15 games? You make your own opinion. You take Jamar Chase away from Joe Burrow, what do the Bengals look like? Do the Bengals get to the Super Bowl? I have my doubts. You still have T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd, but I I just think that you can't always overcome losing your top weapon or your top two weapon. And if you want to say, well, Travis Kelsey's Patrick Mahomes' number one weapon, Tyreek Hill was number two, okay, it's fine. Take away the team's number two option. You take T. Higgins away from Joe Burrow. Are the Bengals the same? You take Gabe Davis away from Josh Allen. Can he survive with just Stephon Diggs? Those are the things you have to consider. And I think if Patrick Mahomes can cap off this year over 5,000 yards, wins an MVP, wins his division, wins the AFC, and wins a Super Bowl over the top team in the NFC, it's no gimme team. It's no underdog story from the NFC side in the Super Bowl. It was the number one seed. The Eagles thrashed the Giants. They thrashed the 49ers. Whether you want to say it's because they played bad teams, they played bad teams in the regular season, you know, the NFC East wasn't as strong as people believed it to be. They were just beating up on each other. 
you can say all those things, but the Eagles won 16 games. It's not like Daniel Jones and the Giants stumbled into the Super Bowl. Or it's not like the 49ers got to the Super Bowl with Josh Johnson now as their quarterback. No, you are getting the top team in the NFC. And the reason I think it can change the landscape, the culture of the NFL, is because it'll completely alter what every team will try to do and beat Kansas City. You don't have to go all in, put your chips all in to get the number one wide receiver, to get the number one defense. You have to get the quarterback, and it's easier said than done, so this may be a stupid point. You have to get the quarterback that can overcome any type of adversity. It doesn't matter if his guys are banged up, if he's banged up, if he's got a bad coach here or there, bad play calling, always overcomes it. Patrick Mahomes may be the only quarterback in the NFL, at least on the AFC side, that is shown time and time and again. You take away one weapon, you're injured in the game. He usually overcomes it. The one time he didn't overcome that adversity was in the Super Bowl the last go-around when he lost basically his entire offensive line. And I'm not going to make an excuse for that game because the Chiefs still played really poor. It was a bad game all around for the Kansas City Chiefs. But Patrick Mahomes has shown, banged up, Loses receivers mid-game. He overcomes. The great ones overcome. I think Joe Burrow has that same tendency. Now, we haven't seen Joe Burrow play in a postseason game when he loses a T. Higgins and a Tyler Boyd and is left with Jamar Chase. Or maybe loses Jamar Chase and is left, left with the rest. Or loses a couple offensive linemen in the middle of that game. Now, he did against Buffalo, or they went in that game without that full starting offensive line. So I would say Joe Burrow has shown... Maybe the second most uh, second most opportunities or had the second most opportunities of adversity or facing adversity. But first is Mahomes. Mahomes has faced the most adversity in the postseason. Bad defenses. No, you may have a missed call or two there. Injuries. Injuries to himself. That's adversity. Joe Burrow's biggest adversity was playing with a bad offensive line. And that is something to consider. That is some serious adversity you have to go through. And the Bengals, that's why. They are right there with Kansas City. They are a team that is very equal to the Chiefs. But you're going to start seeing teams around the NFL, instead of going all in to surround their quarterback, I think it's going to be more so going all in to find that quarterback, whether it be through the draft or through trade, because franchise quarterbacks don't just fall off trees. You don't just find Joe Burrows and Josh Allens and Justin Herberts and Patrick Mahomes just laying around. You have to get those guys and also develop them into franchise quarterbacks. And it always goes back to the draft. This current draft class that's coming in is going to be one of the better ones in terms of quarterback play. you got Bryce Young, you have C.J. Stroud, you have Will Levis. You have a lot of guys that are going to go in the top ten. And one of those guys could, could turn into a franchise quarterback. It depends on the structure that he walks into, the franchise he walks into. But Patrick Mahomes winning on Sunday night, to me, can sort of change the identity of teams around the NFL. Because you could look at Patrick Mahomes and go, if you want to find the next Patrick Mahomes, it's not always about overpaying guys to stay there because you're concerned that if they leave, your quarterback's not going to play as well. The Chiefs knew... If they traded away Tyreek Hill, Patrick Mahomes is still going to be really good. I believe there are GMs out there that look at their quarterback and go, we can't trade away 
this player. We can't cut this player because we don't trust our quarterback to be as good. We'd still be a Super Bowl contender. I think right now, with what we've seen the last couple of years, up in Buffalo, they love Josh Allen. Josh Allen is a transcendent quarterback. I think he's the biggest athletic freak the NFL has ever seen at the quarterback position. Being 6'6", 245 pounds, runs the way he does, the arm power he has. And this year he did deal with an injury. But I wonder up in Buffalo if the fear would be, we got to keep Stephon Diggs here. Because if Stephon Diggs is not here, is Josh Allen the same quarterback? I think Cincinnati believes Joe Burrow is going to be a good quarterback either way. You don't have Jamar Chase. You don't pay Jamar Chase. You keep T. Higgins. You you let T. Higgins walk. You trade T. Higgins. You trade Tyler Boyd. You cut Tyler Boyd. He still could be the same quarterback. Today, the big news was that the Chargers are likely to cut Keenan Allen and Gerald Everett. They're $24, $25 million over the cap. They need to save some money. But it's clear in L.A. they know that Justin Herbert's always going to be a good quarterback regardless of who you give. Who you give him at wide receiver, who you give him at offensive line, give him at running back. And Patrick Mahomes would be that quarterback, I think, that overcame all of that this offseason. The injuries, not having a number one wide receiver, trading away his Hall of Fame wide receiver, having a mediocre defense. And to win 17 games, win the Super Bowl, win an MVP, throw for over 5,000 yards, win your division, win the AFC, all of that in one year, you're looking at one of the better seasons we've ever seen from a quarterback. Maybe that sounds biased being here in Kansas City, but man, I mean, I don't think there's many quarterbacks in this league that if you stripped away their number one weapon or their number one wide receiver, they get to this point where Patrick Mahomes is. Hell, win an MVP. Not even win a Super Bowl, just win an MVP. There's not many quarterbacks that can do that, which is why I think the culture of the NFL changes. There's more to gain for Kansas City if they were to win on Sunday than I think if Philly were to win. If Philly wins, you go great offensive line, better offensive line than the Chiefs, better defensive line, better secondary, have the number one wide receiver, better running game. I mean, all around, the Eagles do have a more put-together team than the Chiefs. There's less holes, I think, on Philly than there are with the Chiefs. The Chiefs still have problems on their defense. They played fantastically against Cincinnati, but I'm not going to take one game and just wipe away what happened in the previous 15 or 16 games. There are holes on that defense. There are holes in the Chiefs' special teams. There are holes in the Chiefs' running game. There's holes in the Chiefs' offensive line. The Eagles are very well-rounded. If they win, the common perception could be they're just a better team. They were a better team. They were a healthier team at that point. They won. And yes, it would be very impressive for Philly to beat Patrick Mahomes. But I think if Patrick Mahomes wins this Super Bowl, wins his second in five years, wins his second MVP in five years, you're looking at sort of changing up the culture that maybe teams will take a step back and go, it's not about building the defense to stop Patrick Mahomes. It's not about finding the top receivers through free agency to match the offensive intensity of the Kansas City Chiefs. It's not always about finding the best head coach. It is about finding the quarterback that can always overcome that adversity. Not in terms of coming back late in games. That helps. Patrick Mahomes being the Grim Reaper certainly benefits him in big-time games. But I think when you have a quarterback that is humble, you have a quarterback that doesn't mouth off with teammates. You could argue from time to time. That happens. It's just like arguing with brothers. But you have a quarterback that's not a distraction 
not complaining about coaches, about players, mouthing off to media. I mean, Patrick Mahomes checks nearly every box. Great in the community, great with fans, great with media, great with teammates, very coachable. And you can tell that it makes you. It makes that player a franchise player. And it helps he's damn good. And he's got a great offense to work with. But I think a lot of teams will start to look at how they build their team. And yes, Patrick Mahomes walked into a very good situation. Alex Smith had a great team, just couldn't take him to the next level. Patrick Mahomes could do that. So you can build your team to be successful for your quarterback. But when you're finding your franchise quarterback, it's not always about the raw talent or what his record was in college. I think it's the quarterback that can overcome adversity, overcome injuries. Missing your left tackle, still find a way to win. Have a bottom 10 defense, find a way to win 10 or 11 games. When everything goes right for you, it's easy to win. When you have a healthy team, you have multiple pro bowlers on your offensive line, you have a softer schedule, you have your number one receiver, you have a great running game. I mean, what's great about the Eagles and why they're so scary, and I think they're more well-rounded than the Kansas City Chiefs, they're top 10 in nearly every category. They're top five in scoring. They're top 10 in defense. They are top five, or top three, excuse me, in yards per game. They are top 10 in passing yards per game. They're top five in rushing yards per game. They're top 10 in time of possession. They're top five in third down efficiency. They are number one in the NFL in sacks, and they're top five in interceptions. The Eagles across the board are one of the most well-rounded teams in the NFL. So Jalen Hurts, if we're being completely candid, hasn't dealt with severe adversity this year for the Eagles. He's been hurt. That's the biggest adversity he's faced, but his team is so loaded around him. The Chiefs are loaded, too. But some of the the areas where the Chiefs lack, they're not very good. They're 20th in rushing in the NFL. They do not have a great running game. I love Isaiah Pacheco. I love McKinnon. They are not a ground-and-pound type of team. They are 16th in scoring defense. That's a mediocre defense. You win this game on Sunday, you overcome the adversity. You overcome all the talk all offseason. That without Tyreek Hill, Mahomes is going to be average. He doesn't have a cheat code anymore. He can't just dump it off four yards in the flat and watch Tyreek Hill run 40 yards down the field. He had to manufacture this offense. He had to use Juju. He had to use McCole Hardman. He had to use MVS. Noah Gray, Justin Watson, Kadarius Toney, Jarek McKinnon, Isaiah Pacheco. Used all those guys, and this team has won 16 games. That's why, to me, it feels like there's more to gain for the Chiefs winning this game on Sunday than it is for Philly. But on the flip side, there's more to lose for the Chiefs because the Chiefs have gotten to this point three times in the last four years. Only one Super Bowl win doesn't sit right with me. If the Eagles lose, you lost to Patrick Mahomes. You're not losing much sleep, and you know that you are going to be a favorite in the NFC next season. The NFC is weak. The AFC is loaded. There's no guarantee the Chiefs get back over the next four or five years. You think they can, but there's never a guarantee in the NFL. Marco, before we get to some fact or fiction here, do you agree with that statement? And you can completely rebuttal me, disagree with it. I just feel like, even though the Chiefs became the favorite in the playoffs, odds-wise, they're the favorites to win the Super Bowl, I think, by Vegas. But I think they're at plus, I thought they were like a plus 200 at some point, maybe in the last week or so. I don't know. I haven't checked it yeah. in the last couple of days. But yeah. the Chiefs would be considered the favorite. If they win, nobody's freaking out. It's not an upset by any means. But I think there's more to gain for the Chiefs winning this game than the Eagles. And, of course, a Super Bowl win goes a long way for your franchise. But I think with what has happened this year for Patrick Mahomes and what he was able to accomplish, there's more on the line for the Chiefs than there are for the Eagles. 
Because this is your third Super Bowl appearance in four years. The Eagles, they won their last Super Bowl with Nick Foles, but this is their first year of truly getting back to that window of contention. You know, they made the playoffs last year. They were 9-8. and eight. You know, they were not expected to even make the postseason. This year, 16 wins. You lose, you lost in the Super Bowl, you won 16 games, and the first year with Jalen Hurts really taking off. So to me, I feel like a loss for them doesn't sting as badly as it would for Kansas City. So bottom line here, the question I'm asking you, is there more to gain and more to lose for the Chiefs, or is there more to gain and more to lose for the Eagles? I would say that there is um... – I would say I would say yes. I would agree with you that the Eagles do have less to lose in this situation. The Chiefs um, do have more um, do have more to lose uh, in this game on Sunday. Last week you'd asked me if this is going to be a missed opportunity for the Chiefs if they don't win the Super Bowl, and I had conflicted with myself on the air about it, and it let me. It's like yeah, there is a missed opportunity here for the Chiefs. And I think it's a greater deal than maybe with Philadelphia. Now, if you ask an Eagles fan or an Eagle Philly sports fan, they, they I bet they could give you a real good rebuttal. But for me, Philadelphia, really your missed window here is yeah, or the the why you have less to lose is that your team, like the Chiefs, was uh, is rebuilt and in going into another Super Bowl window. Chiefs just came at a quicker time than the Eagles did. A lot of help comes with the quarterback position there. What hurts the Eagles here is that you miss out on a title year with your quarterback, Jalen Hurts, who's looking to be the franchise quarterback now uh, on his rookie contract. You miss a year with Devontae Smith, one of your other young receivers that is on the rookie contract. You miss a year with A.J. Brown. Uh, the defensive the defensive players on that make up this uh, Eagles uh, scary defenses is built up on free agents, and so you get a missed year there with people like Darius, uh, Darius Slay, Hassan Reddick. Um, I'm missing another cornerback that came from Atlanta, maybe during the off season. Has a two has a two last name. His name has slipped in my mind, but big was a big late pickup for them at the cornerback position. So I think for it's kind of funny how equally similar these teams are. They're also built differently than each other. On the Chiefs side, you have a bunch of young guys, uh, rookie, rookies specifically, but younger guys who are going to be there next year. The Chiefs are only missing, are going to be missing Dunlap. Uh, I was looking at the free agencies after this year. It's Dunlap, Orlando Brown, mm-hmm. um, Jarek McKinnon, just some notable guys there who are going to be going to be. Uh, off contract after the Super Bowl, but I just I I I, I, I don't I don't I would rebuttal with you if I did. I would ask a Philly fan to rebuttal with you because I'm curious to see what they would say. But when you look at it as at the broad scope of it, it's just to me the Chiefs weren't supposed to be there. They got there, but it's there's a lot at stake for them for the Eagles. You over you you didn't overachieve, but you lived up to the standard. But that but your but your roster that you have right now, that you constructed this there for a limited time. Um, so there is some there to lose for them, but they can just like the Chiefs, they could be back there next year as well because those there's there's still going to be guys on that roster on under contract for one more year. Yeah, anytime you lose in the Super Bowl, it's not a oh we're okay. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all willy-nilly here, sunshine and, rain- sunshine and rainbows. If the Eagles lose, they have every right to be upset and may feel like we lost more in the situation because Patrick Mahomes already won a Super Bowl. Jalen Hurts hasn't. They won one with Nick Foles. 
They took advantage of just the time they got hot. The Eagles are really hot now, but losing would still sing, sting just as badly as it would for Kansas City. I just feel like the criticism would be far more on Kansas City's side if they were to lose as opposed to the Eagles. Sorry to cut in more to your factor fiction time, but then again, it's uh, again, it's just another one of those things where Eagles and Chiefs, you guys, it's going to hurt for fans if they lose and it hurt for the team if, they, if, your t- if that team loses but or whatever team loses. But at the end of the day, if I'm a fan of another team, I'm looking at the Eagles and Chiefs like, I, you know, you guys are just going to be back there again because yep. you have the coach and you have the quarterback and you have this uh, GM. They have all the structure. We say structure all the time. They've got the coach, the quarterback, the front office. All of it pairs nicely together, which is why these teams will be successful moving forward. But when you get there, it's all about capitalizing, which we said plenty of times in our show last week. But now, before we run out of time, let's get to some fact or fiction. Five questions, five takes, and in well under five minutes, Marco Fireway. Jack, fact or fiction, KU beats Texas tonight. Uh... I am very hesitant to say so, but I feel like Kansas does bounce back. I don't see Texas beating K-State and KU back-to-back on the road. It's a quick turnaround. KU played poorly, expect them to play better tonight. Texas played better in the second half against Kansas State. I'd imagine they have a little bit of uh, trouble tonight winning an Allen Field. I still go with KU to win in Lawrence. Factor fiction, K-State loses more than three games in a row. Fiction, I, I think even if they lose the TCU, which I actually think they'll get the Horn Frogs this go-around, but if they were to lose the TCU, I think they'll bounce back with one of those two road wins against either Texas Tech or Oklahoma. Cats are too good to go on a slide of more than three games, so I'll go fiction. They're not losing more than three. Factor fiction, Texas will be a number one seed in the tournament. I think fact, I think they are still going to win this conference whether they lose to Kansas or not tonight. They are just incredibly deep and I would say more athletic than anybody else in the Big 12 in their backcourt play. they got a great stretch for in Timmy Allen. I love Texas. Uh, I love their play. I don't like the school, but I love their play. I'll go fact. I think they are one seed in the tournament this year. Fact or fiction, both quarterbacks will have a turnover on Sunday. I'm going to go fact on that. I think that these defenses can turn turn the ball over a little bit. They get after the quarterback. I think both these guys will have a bad throw or maybe even a fumble at some point in the game on Sunday. Lastly, fact or fiction, KT will play and score on Sunday. I think Tony plays. I'll go fiction, though, in scoring a touchdown. I, I'm hoping he's a little bit more involved in the gadget type of plays because McCole Hardman is likely to be out, but I can't really make a prediction right now if he's going to st- score. For now, I said that he will not score going fiction to wrap up the show. All right, there it goes. This has been 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN Kansas City. I've been your host of the shift, Jack Johnson. That's been Marco Marquez, and we'll talk to you tomorrow at 10 a.m.